All right, we're looking at uh, this passage in Luke 15, this continuing journey. There's been some uh, actually very challenging words that Jesus has spoken, let's be honest. This chapter, it kind of feels like we take a breath. It's uh, sometimes called the gospel within the gospel. Uh, Three parables that Jesus tells uh, that speak about the Father's heart for the lost. Um, But primarily the reason Jesus tells these parables is he wants to address our faulty thinking, and particularly the faulty thinking of the Pharisees. The heart of Jesus' whole life and message was um, actually later on in um, chapter 19 when he meets Zacchaeus, and he's another tax collector. As we'll see, they get a bit of a bad rub to the tax collectors. They're lumped in with all the other sinners. However, he goes to Zacchaeus' house, and as he comes out from that, he makes this statement, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. To seek and to save that which is lost. That's after Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors and sinners. <coughs> we ain't got any um, IRS or, sorry, CRA. I'm in Canada, aren't I? Well, some of these tax collectors were, were, uh, were not always the most pleasant of characters. They were often seen in cahoots with the Romans who uh, were kind of dominating Israel. They were after their own uh, ends and, and sometimes treated people badly. Uh, and sinners is a general term coined to really categorize people who didn't fulfill the law, who didn't meet all those 614 commandments that were necessary in order for us to be good enough. And yet, ironically, it's the tax collectors and sinners that we read who are drawn to Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? They are the ones who want to be with him, who want to hear his message, who are changed by his message, just as Zacchaeus was too. The Pharisees, the teachers of the laws, those who felt they were more on the inside than the outside, what did they do? They muttered. Mutter, 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 mutter. Beware the muttering. We see it in the, in the wilderness wanderings. You know, after God does incredible acts of deliverance to provide. And a couple of days later, the people are muttering and mumbling and grumbling. And here we have it again. This man welcomes sinners. In other words, he accepts them as they are. He seems to value them. He sees some, seems to see something worth saving in them. Worse than that, he actually eats with them. This was an offense. To go into someone's house to eat was a sign of tremendous hospitality and alignment with, and yet Jesus does that very thing. He demonstrates his affection, his, his respect for all people by eating with them. Now, here's the contrast. Like them, we too can make this sort of mistake. We tend to judge the quality of people by their behavior and their lifestyle. It's so easy to do that. There's something in us. In fact, just as I was riding in this morning, I was listening to a news report from England. And um, just this weekend, a man who's really well known because he, he, he captained the, um, the Lions, which is like the British rugby team. And he announced that he has AIDS, and in fact has had it for some time. We're about 30 years into this disease, 
And still there's tremendous shame and fear around owning it. And even within me, I find there's a part of me goes, as, as I hear that, I think, I wonder what happened. How did he get it? It's a bit like the man born blind. The disciples say, well, who sinned that he was born? Who's to blame? Who, who did something wrong? Who do we need to punish? We so easily go there. And rather than see things from God's perspective, because from God's perspective, as expressed in the person of Jesus, he was more concerned that someone has been lost to God. And God wants that person back. That is the heart of the Father. That is the heart of the Good Shepherd. And the celebration is around that which is lost is found. You see, it's not primarily about the one found. It's about the longing of the Father for restoration of his people because of his love for all. That's quite stark and almost startling and shocking. It should be to us, and it certainly was, I think, to the religious leaders of the day. God deserves to have back that which belongs to him. He created all for himself and for us to enjoy him. And so Jesus tells these three stories to illustrate this truth. And he talks about a shepherd who's lost one of his sheep. He talks about a woman who's lost a coin of great value to her. And in the third parable, which we kind of read earlier in the year, he talks about a father who's lost a wayward son. And in each case, when that which is lost is found, there is rejoicing. There's a party. There's celebration. And this reflects God's delight in restored relationship. We find it hard to go there, but that's where God is and that's where God is to be found. You see, none of us deserve this. None of us are here because God is good enough. It's hard for us to overlook that. Because sometimes we look on others, particularly those really nasty people who do lots of wondrous or terrible things, and we think, well, I'm not as bad as them. Surely I'm a little bit better and therefore qualify a little bit. And we look at the, the Hitlers and the Pol Pots and the Saddam Husseins and the, the people that we pick out. Could we imagine rejoicing if one of those turned because he's been lost to the Father? Because it's as true for him as it is for you. That's how shocking this is. The, the love of God. The desire of God for reconciliation and restoration of his children to himself. He tells another story somewhere else in the Gospels, Jesus, about workers in the vineyard and how uh, you know, the owner goes out and there's people out looking for work and the start of the day he gives them a job and invites them in the kingdom, in, into the work of uh, the day. And, um, and then a few hours later he goes to get some more, a few hours later some more. Even on the last hour he's still looking for people and they come in. And as he's paying at the end of the day, he starts with those who came in last and pays them a full day's wage. And the, the ones who were there at the, at the beginning and bore the heat of the day and did all the work, they think, whoa, we're in for a good bonus today. And they get exactly the same. And they feel badly done by. And it's the same spirit that somehow suggests we deserve it. And we can't get over the generosity of God. We don't deserve it, but God desires it. The return of all. Let me just show, 
share something with you that demonstrates how far from that the Pharisees, in, their, in a sense, in their theology, but in their understanding of God, had fallen. And this is a quote from a man called William Barclay, who quotes the Pharisees as saying, There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. That spirit is alive and kicking today in the church, sadly. And part of the problem is we haven't come to fully grasp the measure of our own salvation, the measure of the grace of God and the mercy of God towards us and his love which overlooks and removes all fear and all sin because of his son Jesus. It is so extravagant and his heart breaks over those who are yet to know of that reality. Ask Carol to come and share a little story with you to help in our comprehending and uh, hopefully receiving something afresh from the Lord about this. At the end of the service, Aaron will be laying hands on people and praying for them. Oh, I will too. (laughs) Hello, there we go. (laughs) This is a very long time ago, this story. Um, Our daughter Jess, who some of you have met, she's always been the independent, adventurous one. And when she was about... I think 18 months old, we were actually just outside the front of our house in the sleepy town of Wimborne Minster in Dorset, England, and we were just playing around in the garden. When I say garden, I mean, I think it's called yard here maybe, but it wasn't vegetables, it was flowers, and we were kind of weeding and playing, and I was outside with Hannah and Andrew and Jess, my three children. And I remember just kind of looking up and realizing that Jess, remember she's 18 months old, was no longer anywhere to be seen. And my heart just stopped. And I thought, my goodness, where is she? So I ran in the house to see if she'd gone in there. The front door was open. Ran around there. uh, Ran next door. And I just could not find her. And I'm thinking, where on earth could she be? And I just... I forgot about everything in that moment. I was going to worst case scenario, as you can imagine, but it just didn't make sense. Uh, I just said to Andrew and Hannah, just you stay here. And I thought, well, the only other option is that she's actually gone up the road. So out of the the drive, up the road, and I, I ran out there, could not see her, and I kept on running and running, thinking, how could she, could she even be this far away? And then I went up to the top, around the corner, to this road, which is quite a busy road. And it has a very small footpath at the side of it. And I just, all the time, I'm just thinking, am I ever going to see her again? And I'm crying. I just could not even face what might have happened. Anyways, I got around the corner to the top of the hill, which is a very steep hill. And as I say, quite a busy road. I eventually saw her at the bottom of the hill. And she's holding this man's hand and walking up the hill towards me. And this is quite a way. I mean, I don't know, probably 200 yards down this hill. And she's holding his hand. Something that she she wouldn't even hold my hand at times. I mean, she was so stubborn and independent. And 
as they came up, I mean, obviously I ran down towards them. She's so young. I, I remember her. She had a bib because she used to dribble. I mean, she's that young. And uh, the man came up and he said, he, he couldn't even talk properly. I, I don't know, there was something. He just said, downhill. He couldn't even speak properly. And I just said, I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much. And he'd obviously seen her come out of the, the road and he'd taken her hand and walked back up with her. And then he just disappeared. I never saw him again. I'm convinced that this man was an angel. I, I really am. And uh, there she was, took her home. And I just don't think I could ever imagine the pain that that would have meant if I'd lost her. And obviously I went there in my head and in my heart. But, but the fact that I, I kind of forgot about everything because I wanted her back. And I was running from pillar to post. And there she was. But, so. The pain of a parent who loses a child. And maybe you've had a similar experience in a store or somewhere else. And you, your heart's it's just terror. And, and then the relief. And this is just a glimpse of the nature of the God who made us. For you. And for everyone else that he made. Can you imagine? Can you allow your, your, both your mind and your heart to go to that place? That's how much God longed for you. And still longs for more of you. And all of us. That is the nature of our God. This is the message, the heart of the message that I think Jesus was trying to communicate. And it's not that, in that case, Carol cared any less for our other two children, left alone. They weren't that old. It's not that, in our story, the shepherd cared any less for the 99. But in that moment of, of panic and of loss, all you can think of is that which is missing. Such is the heart of God the Father for those who are disconnected from Him. Irrespective of why they're missing, what they've done while they're missing, his heart beats and yearns that they would return. You see, God is kinder than we are. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Sometimes we think we need to have this wonderful testimony of having strayed, having lived this terrible life so that we've got a great testimony of how God has saved us. No. <laughs> you see, that's not a good place to be out there. It's not good for us. And why would we put God under that kind of duress? Imagine God is under duress. That's what people who love feel when something is lost. And we have a God who never gives up. And I think we want to communicate that to you. Don't give up. Don't give up for people who are important to you. Never give up. Never give up. God doesn't. He continues reaching out and looking. No Pharisee ever dreamed of a God like this. They could not have imagined of a God who left the righteous to seek out the sinners. They wanted the sinners wiped off the face of the earth so that we'd have our perfect world back. The problem was, they were in it. Like I say to people, you want to find the perfect church? If you find it, don't join it, you'll mess it up. And when we enter into that experience of the Father, when we participate in the mission of God and the purpose of God to make Him known and to help others come to know of this God, we enter into that same delight and joy. I can still remember, in fact, just recently I was sharing with it, 
There's a man called Phil Corbin, and he was the first person that I personally was involved in helping come to a knowledge of God and faith in Jesus Christ. And I was part of a team of three, and I was a brand new Christian, and I was just there filling up the numbers. And didn't say very much, just a little bit of what had happened in my life. And I still remember the night that we came away after he prayed to receive Christ and to to trust in Christ, literally dancing down the road. I think think something something was lodged in me. God did something in my heart because I was somehow connected with the heart of the Father for those who are lost and then found. But you see, we're not saved for ourselves primarily. We're not saved for our own well-being. We're not saved that we can have a pretty good life now. We're saved for the Father, for His delight and His joy, and to come to rest in Him. And this reality that whether it's the missing sheep in the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go to find the one, or the missing coin, we lose a coin, we don't think twice about it, do we? But in those days, that coin would have been significant. And the delight when that is found, or at least when it was missing of the coin as the son to the father, they were noticed and they were missed. People are noticed and they are missed in heaven. And therefore they are pursued. How does God do this? Is this all about God doing the pursuing? Because after all, didn't the shepherd just wander out, find the sheep, put the sheep on his shoulder? What a beautiful imagery. He doesn't even sort of cajole the sheep, kick the sheep, get yourself back in the pen. Come on. You put me through all this kind of grief. I'm frustrated as heck. You put all your brothers and sisters at risk because I've had to leave them out in the wilderness. What are you playing at? No, he's not quite like that. He picks him up, lays him across his shoulder. And carries him home. Does God do everything? Or do we play a part? Do we play a part? Well I would say to you. It's all about God's initiative. God moves first. God gives first. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That is the heart of a father who has lost a child. And God does all of the rejoicing. Over the sinners who repent. You see, there is a part to play. And to repent simply means to change your mind, to think differently. It's to realize that the trajectory you're on and the choices that you're making and the self-reliant life and the life centered around me perhaps isn't the best plan in the world. And I was made for something bigger and better. And I can't believe there's a God out there who would still have me back. But I want that. And when I take that kind of decision and reorient my life back to Him, It triggers the rejoicing. Now that takes faith. As we were praying earlier, without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith simply means that I would trust that God is who He said He is and that He has my best interest and He does love me as we've sung over and over again and I am safe and secure in Him. And to help people find faith, God invites us to be a part of the process. That is the mission of God. To recover his kids. And we get to play a part. By telling our story. And listening to other people's stories. And inviting God into the midst of that. It's as simple as that. Do you have a story to tell? You know, pastoring sheep is somewhat analogous to pastoring a church. There are jokes about sheep bite and all that kind of stuff. But we won't go there. 
<clears throat> in fact, Peter, in writing his letter um, to the leaders of the church, he said, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. That is a serious calling. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. You see, God has always been a shepherd, and he's called people, his people to help in the shepherding of his flock. And there's a word in Ezekiel that we read about where God is kind of upset with the shepherds, the leaders, who don't have a care for his people. And, he, and there's a word of judgment that, came, that comes for the, the, the so-called shepherds of Israel. But at the end of it, it says this, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. You see, nothing's going to stop him. He never gives up hope. He never stops. He keeps looking. But he wants us to be with him and part of it. And so our job in shepherding, and part of my responsibility, I believe, is to care about you all. But I can't care about you all. In fact, <clears throat> back in the 70s, though, some of you may have had connections or known about this. There was what came to be dubbed the heavy shepherding movement. And it was a desire to see people discipled, but it went to such an extreme that it, the, the, the shepherds, the leaders, wanted to control almost every aspect of that person's life. So any decision you made in your life, you had to, you had to check it out first with the pastor. Uh, we're not going there. Because the reality is the sheep start to scatter. <laughs> Let's be honest. But I think principally my role, and it's one I'm inviting you into it, is to be caring about those who stray. That's a part of the shepherd's job. And sometimes in the church we get upset if the pastor's doing too much outside the church. But that's part of the calling. It's part of something to be modelled that also you're invited into as well because you see lost sheep that I don't. And so I believe our focus here at Jericho is to continue to be out to those who've drifted and not just for us. Because it's not about us and it's not for us, it's for the Father. And I think at times past there's maybe been a calling in and a perhaps wanting to manage and control and I just want to say, no, release, go. Go into all the world, in fact. Go wherever the Spirit leads you. Don't need to check it out. He's with you and He's watching you and he's, He'll empower you. And I think my job is to encourage you in that and to equip you and to help you be more effective in that. That we would grow in our love for the lost. Not a judgment of them because of the decisions they've made and the choices. That's putting us back under the old system that Jesus was so critical of and that was so far from the heart of God. No, ours is to care for the brokenness in people's lives as well as our own and look for ways to bring healing and restoration. How do we do this? Well, like I say, I think, do you have a story to tell? And part of it is your, your, your repentance and your trust in the Father and allowing the Father to bring a measure of healing and transformation and renewal into your life that you can't wait to tell others about. Do you have a testimony of the saving work? Not the ticket to heaven, but you've come to know this God. You've experienced the dynamic of His Spirit and His life in you. He has healed you. He's given you hope in the midst of adversity. Not because your life is going well, but because God is with you. And as we've sung, His promise never to leave you. And your hope is ultimately in that for all eternity. And He has touched your heart 
he's broken your heart with a measure of love you didn't believe was possible. Because God has poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Uh, sorry, the love of the Father into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us, as Paul says in Romans. Do you have a story of that? And do you get to sit around dinner tables and tell it? Remember, that's the strategy. We're going to change the world from around our dinner tables. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus constantly did. He entered people's homes and sat and had a meal with them, didn't care where they were from and what people thought about them. What he knew was God loved them and had sent him for them. Do you have a knowledge of that call? And when we're there and we hear the stories, we are to care about it and enter into the story with them and say, man is just as bad and just the same, but I've discovered something. A God who is real and a God who is alive and a God who cares. And we will see more rejoicing and we will participate in the joy of heaven. You know, I think C.S. Lewis would, talk, would write about that, that, that joy is the chief business of heaven. Joy is the chief business of heaven. I love that. Let's stand, shall we? For those who can, but just open your heart. I just invite you to, to turn to the Father and thank Him for finding you. Thank Him for the people in your life who've helped you discover more of this truth. And invite Him to give you His heart for those who are yet to be found. Come Holy Spirit. We are your people, bought at a price, called to make known this love of the Father because of the story that is being written in us and the story being written in this community. And it's not about us. It's not because we're any better or worse. But it's because you are here, Lord. And you have chosen to make yourself known. And for that, we're incredibly thankful. And we ask that you would continue to meet us in our brokenness, Father, and heal and strengthen and make new. You're in the recreation business, O oh God. The promise is God makes all things new. And I ask in the power of the Holy Spirit that that newness of life, newness of life, that continuing work of salvation would flow in us and through us. Come Holy Spirit. Breath and life of God. Power of God. The healer. The saviour. The good shepherd. Allow him to envelop you in his love. And for maybe someone this morning, there's a, there's a need to invite him, to lift him, to lift you onto his shoulders and to share in his joy. If you've never turned and trusted and received the love of God shown in his son Jesus, receive him now. It's as simple as saying yes. And he does all the running. And it's like the father of the prodigal who, go, who runs towards the son the moment he sees him coming over the horizon. So Lord, we, we look forward with eager anticipation for the, the ongoing story that you're writing. We thank you for calling us to participate in this ministry and in this mission. Thank you for counting us worthy. Thank you, Lord, for sharing your very life with us. Thank you for your mercy in forgiving us and in cleansing us from all sin 
removing the stain of sin and the shame and giving us liberty and freedom to come into your presence, to know you as Father and to serve you as Lord. And may we rejoice in that reality and may that, that go in a way deeper into our lives, into our families, our homes and into this community. In the power of your name we pray and for the glory of Jesus and for the party in heaven that even now is taking place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.